I hope you have your Bible and you'll open it to the book of Ephesians. And uh, we'll start in the first chapter. I hope they'll be able to put the verses up on the screen as I go along. But uh, also, on the back of the pew in front of you, there should be one of these little blue books. Called It's, war, it's called War Fair Praying. And uh, I want each family to take one of them, or you take one. And, and you, because I'm referred to it later on in the message. And it's our gift to you, and you take it. It's in one of those racks on the back. And if you fail to get one, then we'll see that you get one uh, after the service if it's possible. But you have that, and we'll refer to it uh, further along into the message. You know, uh, we had a great, great four days. Sammy Tippett, who has been used of God in almost every country in the world, shared with us from the Word of God. And I know personally, and that many, many of us experienced a new touch from God. We experienced a, a, a spiritual uplift. And it was so good to be refreshed by God's presence. But you know, when God's people get touched, and God moves in their heart, the devil tries to come and steal it out of their heart. Oh yeah. He doesn't like it when you love Jesus more. He doesn't like it when you spend more time alone with God. He doesn't like it when your prayer life goes to another level. And when you walk in love. And so he'll try to steal out of your heart what God has done. But I guarantee you there's, a, there's, a, there's one verse in Ephesians that, that shows us how that we can continue to walk in the spiritual blessing that are ours in Jesus Christ. Wonderful verse. And I call it eternal blessings or eternally blessed. So look at Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. And then I'm just going to take off and show you how this is true all through the book of Ephesians. Listen to what it says. Ephesians 1 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who has blessed us. Now us, that's us. You know that. Who has blessed us with every, that means every, spiritual blessing. God the Father has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in the spiritual realm in Christ Jesus. So. What that verse says is this, everything we need to be saved, God has already blessed us with in Jesus Christ. Everything we need to live an abundant Christian life, God has already blessed us with that in Jesus Christ. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And the third thing is, everything, everything we need to have victory over the devil, he has already blessed us with in Jesus Christ. And so basically, the book of Ephesians just lays out to you the blessings in Christ of salvation. The blessing of Christ's presence in our life to live the Christian life. And the blessing of Christ in our life 
to have victory over the devil and all the host of hell. I want you to notice, first of all, the blessing of salvation that is ours in Christ. Look, look at uh, chapter 1, verse 7. Now, I'm talking about that this is the blessing of Jesus Christ in salvation for each of us. Salvation is in Jesus and nowhere else. Acts says, neither is there salvation in any other. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. Salvation is not in the church. It is in Jesus Christ. Salvation is not in good works. It is in Jesus Christ. Salvation is not from being raised in a Christian home, and I pray that you were, but salvation is in Jesus Christ. It's the most personal thing in the world. Nobody can be saved for you. They can pray for you to have an encounter with Jesus and be saved, but no one can be saved for you. Now, I want you to notice in verse 7, the blessing of salvation in Christ. Look at verse 7. In him. Now, in Jesus, in him, we have redemption. We were purchased and paid for. That's what redemption means. Jesus purchased us. He bought us. He paid for us. In him, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sin. And that's what every one of us need. You see, sin is what separates us from God. Sin is what caused us to be spiritually dead. But it says here, but in him, we have redemption. We were purchased and paid for through his blood. We have the forgiveness of sin according to the riches of his grace. Now, you know what that verse says to us? That salvation, the blessing of salvation in Christ is through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you happen to watch the Billy Graham, My Hope America, you remember that the whole message was about the cross, about the man making the wooden cross and how Billy Graham preaching the cross. Let me tell you something. There's no salvation apart from the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, what are you talking about, Brother Fred? Oh, there's no salvation in a piece of wood. I know that. But there's salvation in what happened on that cross where Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, perfect humanity, and the Son of God, perfect deity, willingly and deliberately went to the cross and died in our place. The Bible says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. You see, it was on the cross that Jesus died in your place. He was on the cross that he bore your sins in his body on that tree. And so forgiveness is through the cross, through the death of Jesus on the cross, through the shedding of his blood. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we see that and we have re that blessing of salvation. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. And the way of the cross leads home. There's no other way. So we have to come and say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross in my place. 
I, I believe you were my substitute. I accept your substitutionary death in my place. I accept the shedding of your precious blood so that I could be forgiven. And my hope of ever being saved is in the cross and what you did for me. And I embrace the cross, but most of all, I embrace you, Jesus, who died on the cross. You know, thank God that salvation does not depend on what we do. It depends on what God has already done. So there's the blessing of salvation in Christ. Ephesians 1, 7, it says, all right, now look at the first chapter of Ephesians. Look at verse 6. Now, I want to ask you a question. Now, if I ask you this morning, I'm talking about the blessing of salvation in Christ. If I ask you this morning, do you believe God loves you? Immediately, most of you, 90% of you, maybe every one of you say, yes. It's not difficult to answer that. Do you believe God loves you? Your, your response is, yes. But let me ask you another question and see how quick you answer this. Do you believe that you're accepted by God? Do you believe you're accepted by him? You know, so many people say, oh, I know God loves me. But I'm not sure God accepts me because I don't measure up. I don't measure up to all God expects of me. Listen, we, we will never measure up to what God expects of us. What the key is, it's through Jesus and through his precious blood. Look what it says. To the praise of his glory, whereby we are accepted. God accepts us in Jesus Christ. He accepts us. And we are not only loved by God, but if we're in Christ, we're accepted by God. Then you'll notice, look over in chapter 1, chapter 2 now. This is the blessing of salvation that is in Christ. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. I love verse 1 in Ephesians 2. Look what it says. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. Did you know there was a time, and it could be in some of you there is a time, that every one of us, we were dead, dead to God, dead to the blessings of God, dead to the voice of God. We were dead because of our sin. And, but, but listen, you, Jesus, has made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. That's the blessing of salvation, that Christ comes into our life and that we, he, he, he becomes to live in us by his Holy Spirit and we become spiritually alive. See, that's what baptism is all about. We bury the old person without Christ. You bury dead people. So we bury the old people without Christ. But then we raise the new people who are new creations in Christ who've been made alive. We're alive by the presence of Jesus in us. I'll show you another uh, great blessing. Look in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4. Chapter 1, 2 verse 1 says he made you alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. But you know, I never get tired of reading this verse. Listen to what it says. But God, who is rich in mercy. Everybody in this room needs the mercy of God. 
Oh, I promise you, I don't want justice. I want mercy. And you know what mercy is? God, through Jesus, does not give you what you deserve. Man, I sure don't want what I deserve. But you know, that's where the cross comes in. That's where the resurrection of Jesus comes in. God is rich in mercy. Man, he, 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 he's rich in willingness not to give us what we deserve. But God, who is rich in mercy, read on. Because of his great love with which he loved us. What a statement. God is merciful to us in Christ because he loves us so much. Later on in the message, I'll tell you about the breadth, length, height, and depth of the love of God. But see, I'm talking about the blessings of salvation in Christ. He's made us alive. He has poured out upon us his mercy. And look at the fifth verse. He tells us again. Even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Look down at verse 8 and 9 of chapter 2. See, this is the blessings of Christ in salvation. Right here in one book, it says he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. Look at what it says in verse 8. For by grace, all right, mercy is this. God does not give us what we deserve. Thank God for his mercy. But you know what grace is? He gives us what we don't deserve. And could never do for ourselves. You say, well, Brother Fred, I know one thing. I deserve to be saved. Oh, no, you don't. There's not a one of us that deserves it. We have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. All we like sheep have gone astray. But, oh, the Bible says here, for by grace, God in Jesus doing for us what we could never what we don't deserve and could never do for ourselves. I didn't deserve to be saved, but he saved me. And I couldn't save myself, but he saved me. And what a blessing of salvation. But it says here that by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not of yourself. Salvation is a gift from God. It's a gift of God. And it goes on and says in verse 9, not of works. See, that's the thing that so tragically deceives people. Well, if I'm good enough, and if I work hard enough, and if I do my, if my good outweighs my bad, then I'm going to make it. No, uh-uh. You're never going to be saved by your works. All of our righteousness is as filthy rags. It says, not of works, lest anyone should boast. All right, that's the blessings of Christ in our life in salvation. But let's move on to the second thing. And that is this, the blessing of the presence of Christ in our life to live the Christian life. What is the blessing of Jesus in in our life to live the Christian life? Now, Now, hear me very carefully. You didn't save yourself. Jesus saved you. And you had faith in him. You trusted him. You repented of your sins. You threw yourself upon his mercy and you asked him to save you and he saved you and you just simply were saved by faith. But now, let me tell you another thing. You're not only saved by faith, but you live by faith. And that is this. 
Let me tell you what it means. Do you know, somebody asked me, Brother Fred, is the Christian life difficult? I said, no, it's impossible. Nobody can live the Christian life in their own power. Listen, you know what the Bible says? Love your enemies. Huh? I have trouble loving my neighbor. If a man asks you to go one mile, go two. Man, I don't even go to want, to go, want to go one. How many times shall I forgive somebody that sins against me? Seven times? He said, oh, no. Seventy times seven. You see, the Christian life is a supernatural life. And we can't live it in our own power. I mean, you can struggle. You can, Jesus can come in your heart. And you can struggle. and you can. But you don't have to do that. You look to Jesus who lives in you and say, Jesus, you live in me. And all that you are, you are in me. And by your spirit, I, you in me will give me the power to live the Christian life. It's very plainly just made clear. In chapter 2, I want you to notice, uh, really, it's chapter 3. The blessing of the presence of Christ in us to live the Christian life. Look at chapter 3, verse 17. I love this. I'm talking about Christ lives in us. And it's by his presence that we have the power to love our enemies, to forgive people. It says here in verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your heart by faith. And that you being rooted and grounded in love. Let me tell you about that verse. That Christ, by the Holy Spirit, may dwell in your heart. You know what that means? Feel at home. May Christ, by faith, feel at home in your heart. Feel welcomed there. And so, we've got to understand that the Christian life is Jesus Christ living in us. He's dwelling in us. Now, go back to verse 16. You see, the power to live the Christian life is that Christ dwells in our hearts. But then Paul prayed for the Christians in Ephesus. He said in verse 16 that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. Now get this. To be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Paul said, I know you can't live the Christian life in your own power. And I know you're in a battle. You're battling the world system. You're battling your own flesh. You're battling the devil. And I know that you can't live it in your own power. So I'm praying that you'd be strengthened with might in your inner man, in your spirit, by his spirit that dwells in you. Hey, listen, it's Christ in us. It is the Holy Spirit strengthens our inner man that we can live the Christian life and that we can do what God has called us to do. Look on down in verse, uh, uh, let's just go ahead and read verse 18 and 19. Okay. The blessing of Christ in us to live the Christian life. He dwells in our heart by faith. Paul says, I'm praying God's going to strengthen you in your inner man by his spirit so you can live the Christian life. And then he goes on and says in verse uh, 19, he says, I want you to know the love of Christ. I want you to know how much Jesus loves you. 
And he says that because most of us don't really understand how great Christ's love is for us. He said, I want you to know that I want you to be able to comprehend uh, in verse 19, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. What he said in the verse before, he said, I want you to know the breadth. I want you to know how uh, uh, wide Christ's uh, love is. I want you to know the breadth, the depth. I want you to know how deep Christ's love is. The breadth, the depth, the width, the, the, width, the length. Listen. You know where security comes from if you're a child of God. It comes when you know how much Jesus loved you. Did you know there's nothing you can do to make Jesus love you less? But there's nothing you can do to make Jesus love you more. Jesus' love for you is unconditional. You say, but Brother Fred, what about my relationship with him? You see, it's not a matter of you making Jesus love you more by what you do or love you less what you don't do. Because he loves us unconditionally. But what it is, it's a matter of us pleasing God. Oh, because he loves me, I want to please him. I want to say that which pleases him. I want to do that which pleases him. You know, the apostle Paul said, my aim that is whether present or absent, that I would please him. Hey, you know the power to live the Christian life? Is Jesus living in us? He needs to feel at home in our hearts. And he needs to strengthen us by his spirit in our inner man. And we need to be secure in the love that Christ Christ has for us. And that love will motivate us. See, love motivates. The law will not motivate you to do anything. Thou shalt not. Thou shalt not. Thou shalt not. Thou shalt not. That's not what motivates you. What will motivate you is Jesus loves you so much and he died for you and he lives to live in you. And because of his great love, you want to do that which pleases him. Praise God, I'm I'm, I'm living for the Lord not because I have to, but because I want to, because of what he's done in my life. And so it's the blessing of, of the presence of Christ in us to live the Christian life. He said, if you know the love of Christ, you'll be filled with the fullness of God. Wow. I want to be filled with the fullness of God. He said, you'll know, if you know how much he loves you, you'll be filled with the fullness of God. But look at the 20th verse of chapter 3. This ought to encourage you. You see, so many of you are struggling to live the Christian life in your own power. Now, I know, Brother Fred, Jesus saved me But I've got to do the rest of it on my own. That is absolutely untrue. You can't do it on your own. So I get up in the morning and I say, God, I'm helpless. But Jesus, you're my help. Lord, I'm weak. But Jesus, you're my strength. I can't. But Jesus, you can. And you live in me. Now look at verse 20. Unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ever ask or think according to the power that works in us. He said, you know, God is able to do more than you could ever ask or think in your life because his, by his power that is at work in you. 
One of the hardest things to do is to forgive someone when you've been greatly hurt or offended. I'll tell you, bitterness and unforgiveness is such a plague and destroys the, the inside of so many people. But you know, Jesus is able to do more than we could ever ask or think by his power that works in us. I've told people over and over again, forgiveness does not mean approval. It doesn't mean approval because what happened was wrong. But you forgive people even though you don't approve. And the power to forgive is Jesus. I never will forget I was preaching in Waterville, Mississippi. You say, I don't know where that is. I don't either, but that's where I was. (laughs) And I was preaching on forgiveness. And I said, forgiveness does not mean approval. What happened was wrong. But I'm telling you, Jesus Christ forgave you of your sins, and he never approved of one of them. So by his power, you can forgive others, even though you don't approve of it. You, You never know the pain in people's heart. I got a letter from the pastor three weeks later. He said, Brother Fred, you did not know who you were preaching to. He said there were two fine Christian people, love God, love our church, that were sitting in the congregation. And they were battling bitterness and unforgiveness. And said the reason they were bitter and unforgiving was that their son-in-law had murdered their daughter. And he was now spending life in prison. But when they understood that forgiveness does not mean approval, that God had forgiven them, even though he didn't approve of their sins, they made a choice by the power of Jesus to forgive that son-in-law who had murdered their daughter. And Jesus set them free. You can't do that in your own power, friend. Don't even try. But what I'm trying to say to you, God is able to do exceedingly more than we could ever ask or think by his power that is at work within us. So there's the blessings of Jesus in salvation. And then there's the blessing of Jesus in us to live the Christian life. But I really want to nail this home. It's the blessing of Christ in his victory over the devil. You see, anytime God does something in your life, anytime God does something in a church, the devil, it makes him mad. And the army that is under his control of demonic spirits, I mean, they begin to attack to try to steal that which God has done in your life. But I want to tell you something. One of the spiritual, one spiritual blessing that is ours in Christ is his absolute victory over the devil. Look at chapter 6, verse 10. He, he goes on and says, okay, there's victory over the devil. We read in uh, uh, chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. Hold it. Not be strong in your own power. Not be strong by doing the best you can. Not being strong by trying harder. Depend on Jesus. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. And in the power, do you know how much power that is? 
and in the power of his might. Then he tells us, okay, you're in a battle. Put on the whole armor of God. Wow. Put on the whole armor of God. That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Do you realize there is a personal devil? His name is Lucifer. He was one of the highest people in heaven. He rebelled against Jehovah. And he was cast down out of heaven. And a third of the angels were cast down with him. And they're called demons or demonic spirits. And so now we're in a battle, not with flesh and blood, but we're in a battle with Satan. By the way, he's not omnipotent. He doesn't, he's not all-powerful. He's not omnipresent. He cannot be everywhere at the same time. He's not omniscient. He's not, he doesn't know all things. He can't read your mind. But the thing about it is, while he is confined to one place at one time, he has an army. I wonder how many a third of the angels were that were cast out of heaven. It must have been millions. Because I've had 200,000 after me ever since I've been saved. <laughs> it had to be millions. And what they do, listen, if you're a Christian, they oppress you. They oppress you. They attack you. They put thoughts in your mind. They harass you. That's exactly what they do. And he says here, put on the whole armor of God that you may be, in verse 11, be able to stand against the schemes and the strategies of the devil. And look at verse 12. He said, now we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. Now, listen, I know what some of you think. Well, I tell you right now, Brother Fred, my problem is my wife. She's not your problem. Well, my problem is my husband. He's not your problem. He may act not, may not be acting right, but somebody's at work inside of him. You understand there's a demonic spirit oppressing him. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. Well, I'll tell you one thing. My problem is all them people that I work with. Well, let me just say one thing. Are they lost? Well, who, whose power are they living under? No wonder they oppress you and attack you. It says, for well, we wrestle not, in verse 12, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places. He said, there's a war going on in the heavenlies. There's a war going on in the heavenlies. And they bring that war into the, to, the, to our heaven that we live in. And we're all engaged in an awesome spiritual battle. And that's why we got to realize that God said, now listen, you be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. You put on all of God's armor. Because you're not wrestling against human beings. You're wrestling against the devil and demonic spirits that harass people, oppress people, and drive people. But then he goes on and says, you got armor. And he talks about, he said, wrap yourself in truth. Look, if you would. And I'm just going to read this because there's two things I just want to dwell with here. It says in verse 13, take up the whole armor of God. Okay? that you may be able to stand in the evil day. Hallelujah, we can stand. And having done all to stand, gird your waist with truth. Know the truth. Believe the truth. The Bible is truth. Read the truth. Believe the truth. Obey the truth. Wrap yourself in truth. 
By the way, the devil is a liar, and he's the father of lies, is exactly what Jesus said. He's a liar, and he's the father of lies. Everything he says is a lie. So the way you, you, you ward him off is that you know the truth. You believe the truth. You stand in the truth, and the word of God is truth. And the truth obeyed sets you free. It says, uh, gird your loins with truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Hey, guess what? Jesus is our righteousness. He made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Did you know this morning, if you're a Christian, you're not sitting there in your own righteousness? As a child of God, I'm not standing here in my own righteousness. At conversion, Jesus takes your sin and gives you his righteousness. And so we begin to live out that righteousness by his power. But I want to tell you right now, you have on the breastplate of righteousness, and that's all where you, all your vital organs are. And see, so you got you robed in Jesus' righteousness. So he said, wrap yourself in truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. And he goes on and says, uh, and shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Be a peacemaker. Walk in truth. Live in truth. And be a walk in peace, live in peace, and be a peacemaker. Shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And then take the shield of faith. It's, it's a big, long shield. And you take the shield of faith, and you just use it to knock down the fiery darts of the wicked one. You know what a fiery dart is? You're just going along, and you know you're, you're a child of God, and you're doing pretty well, and all of a sudden, here comes this thought. Mm. What is that? Why am I thinking that? That was in my past. That's over and done with. Why am I? What is this? And let me tell you something. The enemy just takes those fiery darts. He goes, and if you try to take the shield of faith and you knock down the fiery darts of the wicked one, you knock them down. And that shield used to be covered in leather and soaked in water. And man, when the enemy would shoot those fiery Flaming arrows. He'd shoot those flaming arrows. They'd take that shield and they'd stop that arrow and they'd stop that arrow and they'd stop that arrow. And I want to tell you, you gotta, you gotta stand and you got to have the shield of faith and you've got to knock down. You've got to stop all those fiery darts, all those ungodly, unholy, unrighteous, untrue thoughts. You knock them. You stop them with the shield of faith and you don't let them enter your mind and control you. And then he goes on and says two, about two other ones. The helmet of salvation. Let your mind be covered with Jesus. But he says there are two offensive weapons. It says, and take the helmet of salvation. Now listen at this. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We fight the enemy with the Bible. Thus saith the Lord. Satan tempted Jesus three times. Command these stones to be made to bread, Jesus, and use your power on yourself. Jesus answered him with the word of God and said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And he stuck the sword of the Spirit in the devil. And then the devil said, Listen, I'm going to take you up on the pinnacle of the temple. And you jump off, and you'll do something famous. And everybody will know who you are. And Jesus said, Oh, no. And he took the sword of the Spirit, and he said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God, and he jabbed the devil with the sword of the Spirit. And then the devil gave the greatest temptation. 
He showed Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. He said, I'll give them to you. See, Satan is the prince of darkness. He's the ruler of this world system. He said, Jesus, I'll give you this world system. You know what Jesus answered? He took the sword of the Spirit. He said, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he stuck the sword of the Spirit in the devil and overcame him. The devil left him. Friend, you, when the thoughts come, when the attacks come, you just get the Word of God. And you read the Word of God out loud. Or you pray the Word of God. I'll tell you, that will do more in the spiritual battle than you can ever imagine. The Bible says the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. But then the last thing it says, it's our other offensive weapon. Praying always. See, for, you, for years, I didn't know that that was an offensive weapon. But it is. You pray always. Man, you're in a battle with prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Now, and you should have in your hand a warfare prayer booklet. If you have one, would you just lift it up and let me see? I want to know how many people got one. A lot of people have one. All right. If you, we'll get you one if you didn't get one. Would you open it up to page... Um, it's page two. And there's a warfare prayer personal. Now I want you to listen. This is a prayer that's prayed by believers. And it's nothing but scripture. So you say sometimes, Brother Fred, I don't feel like praying. Sometimes, Brother Fred, I don't know how to pray. Somehow, but I guarantee you there have been times that I was under great oppression. Under tremendous. And I'd, be, I'd just read this warfare prayer. It takes ten minutes. I'd read it out loud. Heavenly Father, I bow and worship and praise before you. I cover myself with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ as my protection during this prayer. I surrender myself completely and unreservedly in every area of my life to yourself. I do take a stand against the workings of Satan that would hinder me. Then he says in the next paragraph, Satan, I command you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to leave my presence with all your demons. And I bring the blood of Jesus Christ against you. And then you just keep praying it out loud. And I'm telling you... Praise God, the cloud lifts, the oppression goes, and I mean you just find God liberating you and infusing you with his strength, and I encourage you, believer, I encourage you. If there's any way I can let you know how important it is that you use this warfare prayer personal, it will absolutely take you to another level spiritually. I've given out over 30,000 of these to people. I meet people that 15 years ago got one of them, and they still got it in their Bible, and they still use it. And then there's a warfare prayer for your marriage. I don't know how to pray for my marriage. Well, it tells you how to pray for your marriage. And there's a warfare prayer for a rebellious child. Well, my son's rebellious. My daughter. Well, how do I pray for him? It tells you how to pray for a rebellious child. Warfare prayer for a person who seems to have demonic bondage. Their, 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 their behavior is irrational. It makes no sense. It has no pattern. You said this is not normal. No, it isn't. And so you pray for a person who seems to have demonic bondage. And, uh, and so there's just places. And all of these are so effective. And I'm going to tell you now. And in these last days. Um, warfare prayer for a person's salvation. Over on page 7. I'll tell you one thing. You better pray. And you better take the offensive. You need to hit the devil before he hits you. It's always better to get the first lick in. 
Why wait till you beat down and, and discourage and say, man, I, got, I better pray. No, why? When you, why not when you feel the attack coming? You just get the warfare prayer. And you can add libid, you can add to it and take away, but it's all scripture. And you use this as an awesome weapon in your battle in the Christian life. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Jesus is more than enough for whatever you face, whatever valley you walk through, whatever mountaintop you're on. Jesus Christ is sufficient and you must keep your faith and your eyes on him. Don't look around at people. Just keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep focused on him. And look to him for every need in your life. Would you pray with me right now? Father, I pray that people will take this warfare prayer booklet. And they'll pray it over themselves and over their children and over their marriage and God, that they'll be mighty warriors in prayer. That with the whole armor of God, they will stand against the world, the flesh, and the devil. Father, I pray that we'll just rejoice in our salvation. And I pray that we'll rejoice in all that Christ is in us. And how he gives us his power to live his life through us. God, we are blessed. We are, we are victorious in Christ. And God, by faith, we choose to walk in the victory. That Jesus won on the cross. This morning, has there ever been a time in your life when you realized you were lost? You see, you can't be saved until you, you know you're lost. Has there ever been a time in your life when you knew you were lost, but God spoke to your heart and convicted you of your sin, and you came to Jesus, and you trusted him for salvation, and your life has been changed not perfect, but changed. You're going after God instead of running from God. You're living for him instead of living for yourself.